podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Season Review Podcast on Anfield Index Pro. Um, Really, really enjoying doing this series. It's really, really interesting to hear people's hot picks. And uh, today I've got another special episode for you with two incredible guests. So first up, let's speak to our first guest, a familiar voice on Anfield Index. You've heard him many a times on post-match Raw. You've heard him on the the Transfer Committee podcast. He's the guy that keeps the purse nice and tight on, on, the, on the committee podcast and the host of the Money Talks podcast. It's Mr. Mo Chatra. How are you, Mo? Oh, lovely. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, enjoying some downtime now that the Reds are not playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was so full on, especially towards the end of the season, wasn't it? That, uh, you know, every other day it almost seemed like there was a match and uh, it was exhausting, you know, and we weren't even playing, were we? So, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this downtime and, uh, you know, trying to let the batteries recharge before the start of a new season because it will be upon us very soon. Absolutely. And you're, you're so spot on in the sense that, you know, um, there was just so much football to watch and you probably, I personally, I think I spoke to, um, I can't think who I had this conversation with, but it just felt like it was like a conveyor belt of constant football and you couldn't quite enjoy your result. And then you're thinking about the next one, you're thinking about the next one. So it's kind of nice to, like you said, recharge, reset and you know, we've had a bit of time away from the football now. We've given it a few weeks, so there's nothing reactionary about what we're about to say. Um, so, Mo, um, it's, it's been, you know, it's been a busy season, like you said. So, I mean, your thoughts and your overview of it as a whole, what did you make of the season? Well, I thought it was one of the most memorable seasons that we've had as Liverpool fans. I thought that... Um, after the disappointments of 2021, where everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Um, You know, we really wanted to see a season where, you know, we had a real uplifting one, you know, where we were back again, where we had key players returning. And 
we wanted to see that, you know, this Jurgen Klopp team had something about it that it hadn't just had a couple of good seasons and that was it. You know, at the start of the season, we had plenty of pundits writing us off, not even talking about us in terms of a title challenge. Some not even speculating we'd make top four. And, you know, all of them talking about, you know, potentially a two-horse race between City and Chelsea. Mm. And, you know, some even talking about, oh, well, United might also be part of that as well. And, you know, most, I mean, I remember BBC website had huge list of pundits and they were predicting what the top four would be and there were not many that even gave us a chance of getting into the top two and some didn't even have us finishing in the top four so you know to prove all of those people wrong was was great and I thought that um, you know this team you know with 63 games gave us okay not the most prestigious of the trophies that we were going for but a couple of trophies which we hadn't won under Jürgen Klopp. And on top of that, and more importantly, so many special moments, so many special memories. Mm-hmm. You know, we had more great moments, more great memories in that one season than some fans of other clubs have in decades. True. And so I thought, you know, count our blessings because, you know, you wouldn't want to be a fan of any other club. You really wouldn't. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you as a whole found it memorable and you really enjoyed it as well. And like you said, so many favourite moments. But before we get to your favourite moment, you know, you kind of touched on that the Reds played uh, every match that was humanly possible for them. So if you had to pick a favourite match from the season, it could be from any of the the competitions in the league, um, the 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 choice is yours, Mo. If you had to pick a favourite match of the season, what, which would it be and why? Well, I'm, I'm going to pick two. Um, so I'm going to pick my favourite match, but I'm going to pick an honourable mention. Um, so I'll, I'll keep it brief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my pick for match of the season, like I, I think a lot of people would pick, would have to be the trip to Old Trafford where we hammered United 5-0. Um, you know, I don't drink... You don't drink, but if we did, um, Carlsberg would it make better uh, match days than that one. It was just absolutely beyond anyone's wildest imaginations that we would turn up at Old Trafford, play them off the park, have the fans leaving that stadium en masse, you know, you know about the 60-minute mark. And, um, you know, everything that could have gone right did go right that day. And the only kind of... Uh, Disappointment almost, if you can call it that, was that we didn't really, um, you know, go for the complete jugular in those last 30 minutes or so. Mm. We, we definitely went into second gear. We thought, OK, we've punished them enough now. Let's take it easy. We've got another match coming up. Uh, but, you know, we, we could have easily beat them 7-8, even 9-0 that day. They were completely, to use a phrase used by young youngsters these days, dusted. They were completely dusted <laughs> and they were... Um, humiliated in the worst way possible and you know United fans I don't think they've been the same since then they really haven't they Mm. just didn't know what hit them Um, so it was one of the most enjoyable days of football I've ever had and the honourable mention goes to another club that I don't have much time for and that's Arsenal and it was the second leg of the EFL Cup uh, the, the Carabao where you know, we drew nil-nil at Anfield. We went to their ground. Uh, you know, we had injuries. 
you know, it's a competition that sometimes Klopp will play not full-strength teams. And all the Arsenal fans, after that nil-nil at Anfield, thought, yes, we're going to show these scousers. We're going to show them what we're all about now. You know, we're on the up. And they were really confident. They were getting so excited. And then we just turned up there, completely shut them down and convincingly beat them, you know, a couple of joyous mm. goals from Jota. And, um, you know, they were in the mud and, you know, I loved it. And, you know, what was especially nice about it is um, no fan base um, takes losses quite as badly as the Arsenal ones. And uh, mm. their meltdowns on AFTV and other places were just... Is that when they had a Bollywood actor on? And he was prophesizing something. Um, uh, I think it's it's called Ranbir Kapoor or something. He was like going on with himself, and guys was like, "Oh my god, this is so cringe." He was like prophesizing that Arsenal are going to absolutely tonk Liverpool, and I think that was the game. But yes, yes, I mean the yeah, I mean the meltdown reaches all the way Bollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even even Bollywood actors uh, fall into that kind of delusional mindset that. Arsenal fans seem to specialise in and uh, yeah they, they were absolutely devastated because um, they were so convinced that not only would they beat us but they some not, yeah, a lot of them thought they were on our level and I thought what are you people smoking as John Henry once said um, you know they were absolutely put in their place um, by the Reds and uh, I really really enjoy that so honourable mention to that game. I like that. I like the picks and um, the 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 tonking of Manchester United at Old Trafford has been a little bit of a hot favourite and rightly so. Personally, I didn't watch that game uh, because I was away from the football, but I remember just kind of looking at the result, um, going back to see the goals. And I think one of the most, I mean, I think just beating Manchester United at Old Trafford in that manner for me, was probably like the first time ever I've seen anything like that. My my honourable, um, not my honourable mention, my my match of the season was Liverpool beating Manchester United at Anfield in, in Ramadan because obviously, you know, you've been fasting all day and then you get your tribal on. And uh, for me, I really enjoyed that game because again, it just felt like men versus boys. And yeah. to beat Man United 9-0 on aggregate, and I think for me, it's more like the caliber of beating Man United as well. Like the, 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 just the concept of beating Man United, like 4 0, 5 0, is absolutely huge. And it just goes to show like the gulf between us now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, yeah. records, aggregate score, 9 0, um, you know, over the two games, home and away. Yeah. And the aggregate court score could have been 14, 15 nil. Yes. You know, easily. So easily. Yeah. yeah. Right. Really. So great, great um uh, favorite match and a nice little honorable mention there as well for the Arsenal game as well. Mo, if you had to pick a favorite moment from the season, it can be on field, off field. Um, what would it be and uh why? Well, again, there's so many to choose from, isn't there? Because there were so many great moments. But um, I, I think on the theme of um, sticking it to rivals, I'm going to have to go with um, Kepa's uh, penalty miss in the Carabao Cup <laughs> final at Wembley. Uh, I thought that was just absolute, the, the peak of uh, banter there. Because, you know, Chelsea obviously are a club that we haven't had much time for as a fan base for, you know, 
nearly 20 years now um since certainly abramovich came and started spending all his mm-hmm. oil money yeah um and you know so there's no love lost between the fan bases and even between the clubs for that matter and then you know tommy tuchel you know b-tech Klopp, you know bringing on mr <laughs> kepper thinking right he's our penalty specialist he's gonna show these lot um and uh, you know i'm gonna win yet another trophy and yet he comes on, he doesn't save a single penalty, and then the icing on the cake, he misses his own yeah, penalty and uh, wins it for Liverpool. So that was absolutely brilliant. Um, I just couldn't stop laughing and celebrating at the same time. And it, it was great because, you know, Chelsea are in so many ways just a despicable football club. And, you know, Kepper is like one of these knobheads from you know the netflix show elite he's like one of those really dislikable characters that has no redeeming qualities whatsoever yeah. and you know the fact that you know he missed that penalty didn't save any of ours tuchel got it horribly wrong chelsea lost we won we picked up a trophy that we hadn't won under clock it was just ticking so many boxes simultaneously and i, I just loved it so that that was my moment of the season. I love that. I love the fact that, you know, kind of sticking it to uh, the opposition. I think Guy Drinkle picked that as well, That just that whole Kepper sub. And, yeah, I met, you know, um, I, I like that one. It puts a big smile on my face. I, too, was equally as petty more. I went for um, Alison taking the mick out of Pickford, oh, diving on the ball. <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, no, that was great. But I love yours. Yours will actually have like a long-standing memory because obviously the Reds won a trophy. I like that. Um, uh, it's a good, good favourite moment. Well, I'm going to take you on an emotional roller coaster on, on our little podcast here. Um, your worst match. Oh, well, um, I mean, luckily we didn't have many matches that were horrible. Um, and I, I think there's obviously a very clear pick for, for many fans, which was the very final game of the season. But I'm actually going to go with uh, one at the end of December, which was Leicester City away, and we lost that game 1-0. And, you know, this season that, you know, has just finished was a season of fine margins. Mm. Now, that was a game that I really felt we should have won, and yes. I think we could have won. Yes. And had we won that, we would we would have won the title. Mm. And, you know, looking back at that game, you know, it was just a few days after that very memorable, um, I think it was quarterfinal win in the Carabao against Leicester at Anfield. It was. Where, yeah. you know, we played quite a weakened team. You know, most of it was, you know, reserves and, you know, even the under-23s. And they really turned up thinking, oh, look at these lot, you know, it's all the kids. And, you know, we, uh, you know, just um, upset all the odds and beat them. And uh, that was one of the great games of the season. But their fan base was absolutely vile, you know, singing, you know, all kinds of horrible stuff like the Feeder Scousers and all that stuff. And it was great to silence that fan base and obviously added kind of resonance for me because I live in Leicester. Yes. So, you know, coming to their ground six days later, um, I thought, right, okay, let's more of the same, please. And, you know, they, um, I think, had 
several key players missing as well. So they weren't playing with a full-strength team. I think we went into that game with... I mean, we had some injuries, but of the available players, we, we started with, a on paper, definitely a stronger team. And we just didn't show up. And I was so gutted because... You know, the fans were giving it that all that feeder scouts and stuff. And, that, you know, that was really winding me up. Salah missed a penalty um, early in the game. We lost it 1-0. Um, at that point, we fell further behind City. And it felt like, no, the gap's going to be too much. It's going to be too much. Um, I remember Leicester making a sub. And I think somebody called Jews Hall came on. I was like, your name just sounds like a wedding venue. And I just remember him absolutely bossing it and being absolutely disgusted. <laughs> I just remember yeah. him being so angry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it was just, I think it was an evening game as well. It was, and... it was, it was, it was, a, it was an evening yeah. kickoff. And I think it was the 28th of uh, December. Yeah. And it's that, that weird period, isn't it? And I just remember just being so angry, you know, like mm. just so frustrated at that game. And I actually threw in the towel in that game. And that was actually my worst match as well, Mo. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was just so depressing almost. You know, we had um, a bit of an up and down December. I mean, I think the game before that, we drew to Tottenham away. And I thought, oh, you know, again... It was a game we could have won. We were in the lead. And, you know, we saw an equaliser to Hungmin San. And, you know, we really needed to win from that Leicester game to keep our title hopes alive. Well, so it felt at that time. Obviously, we then claw the gap right down. But, um, yeah, I, I was the same. I thought, right, that's it now. Mm-hmm. Title, title challenge is over. And it's not even New Year's Day yet. But, uh, yeah, that, that was quite deflating. Yeah, a lot of people have put that as their pick as well. And um, uh, yeah, I think it was those kind of like kind of fine margin kind of games. And um, some people kind of highlighted some of the draws as well, like to Brentford and Brighton, mm. saying that, you know, just throwing away city points like that against this Man City side just shows that it is quite, um, um you know, it's um, it's big. You know, you can't, you know, you have to have a near like flawless kind of season both of us in that regard because obviously you saw what happened and um, there was like a 14 point gap and you know Man City took their eye off the ball and we just carried on winning our games and it went down to the last game of the season so it just goes to show that we kind of do push each other a fair bit but yeah those kind of results when you look back I mean you know I think hindsight is a wonderful thing when you look back and you think oh what if we'd won that one and we won that one but unfortunately it is what it is um so that was your worst match. Mo, your worst moment of the season, again, on field, off field. Whatever. I think, yeah, I think, um, you know, fortunately it was a season where there were very few low points. Um, but I think the worst moment might have been, um, I was watching the Champions League final. Mm-hmm. I had the barbecue on at the same time. So I was multitasking, which is rare for a man. Ah, uh, look at this, look at this. <laughs> but I thought, yeah, let, let's, let's put something nice, let, let's get some nice barbecue going. Um, but anyway, I was watching the game whilst I was, you know, doing all that barbecue stuff. And um, then, um, who was it? The host of, on, on BT Sport said something about, oh, a fan just turned up on the podium and his eyes were streaming and he's saying about how, 
bands had been tear gassed, yeah. I think. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh my God, what on earth is going on out there? Um, and the thing is, I hadn't been on social media all that much um, yeah. you know, a couple of hours leading up to the game because I was kind of busy with, you know, setting up barbecue and this and that and the other. And then when they said that on the TV, then I went on to Twitter and I saw what was going on. I thought, oh my word, what on earth is happening? And then, you know, the more I read up about it, I was thinking, this is absolutely horrible. And I was starting to think about, you know, people like Gags and others and, Mm. you know, the Anfield Index family who are at the game thinking, oh, no, I hope they're not caught caught up in any of this. And then your mind just starts to go off the game. It almost distracts from, you know, what was supposed to be a really enjoyable occasion to worrying about what's going on to our fans you know we've got friends there we might have family there um you know hope they're not get, getting caught up in all of this nonsense that's going on and um you know that that was horrible that was not nice and that was just you know from home never mind you know the people that were actually there and experiencing it you know here on Anfield Index we've heard from you know other fans you know and other podcasters like Jay Reed who got you know got caught up in all of this stuff and it was not clearly not pleasant at all um but that that was not nice that was a horrible moment when you le- start to learn about all of this that was unfolding prior to the game and then obviously the match being delayed and you know initially you know them blaming the fans as they always do saying oh Liverpool fans have turned up late and obviously that was not the case it was because they made a complete botch of Mm. um handling everything yeah. you know the gates um you know the security checks the whole lot it was just a complete and utter shambles and it was disgraceful obviously that they were blaming the fans but yeah that that started to take a real shine off what was yes. supposed to be such a special occasion for us and uh yeah that that was not nice i completely agree with you and i think that that was definitely my pick and it was a a, a pick for a majority of the people who we've spoken to on Anfield Index. And and again, you know, I'll keep repeating this, you know, we always, always criticise social media. You know, like we, people point out the, the you know, the, the, the negatives of it. But in this instance, it was absolutely positive because we saw a lot of people taking to social media, fans saying, no, we've been stuck outside. Videos merging that the fans were there ages ago. You know, yeah. tweets from the likes of Gary Lineker and, you know, well-respected journalists who have no connection to Liverpool Football Club saying, no, this is not the fans. And, yeah. you know, them just getting their voice across and, you know, I don't know, like busting that myth that it's very, very easy to blame football fans. So, you yeah. know, and I guess, you know, this is the power of social media and, you know, um, uh, I just think, you know, gross incompetence. And I'm like you as well, more because at the beginning, I did not enjoy that game. I was a bit restless. I was like, what's going on? Is everyone OK? I knew, um, obviously, I knew gags that were already inside the stadium quite early because they were posting on social media. But just the overall, just, um, you know, the, the, the empathy for the fans outside and, you know, you're seeing people getting tear gas, kids crying. It was just awful. And mm. it just... You know, like it, it didn't feel right at the start of the game, and I'm with you. And then obviously, more things followed at the end. And it, it comes to something when you've just lost a final and a big final, and you're not one bit when you, the, the, you, your main concern is the safety of the fan base. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, 
the, the game, the outcome of it was all secondary mm. by a distance. You know, it was all about are the fans okay? Will they be okay? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it was clearly not uh, the case for a lot of fans. You know, there's many, many fans that had horrible experiences, you know, a little bit of crushing. You know, there were some that got injured. There were those that got mugged, robbed, attacked. Um, you know, it was really not nice at all. And they were let down in big style by the people that should have handled the whole event, that protect should have protected them, made them safe throughout the whole day and um, made sure that it was an enjoyable experience for all, you know, in the way that it was for, you know, fans who went to Kiev, who went to Madrid. You know, yeah. Kiev we lost, but the fans still had a whale of a time because the event was ran in a, in a nice, proper, organised way. It, it's not difficult. It's not rocket science. And, you know, it was just the arrogance of the French authorities and UEFA who made a complete botch of the whole thing. And, uh, you know, at least this time around, unlike, you know, back in 1989, you know, as you were saying, you know, we've got social media to kind of dispel all the lies that came out. Mm. Um, and very quickly, all those lies have been um you know debunked yes. and you know the truth is now coming out um by the people that tried to put those lies out in the first place so you know that that's that's a real positive absolutely absolutely mo um we're going to move on to uh our next point so phenomenal season we saw so many um you know great performances by players throughout the whole season you know some players peaked at different levels we also saw some new blood to the team who uh, performed really well so if you had to give a player of the year award who would you give it to well i mean again it was a season where you know you can pick so many because mm-hmm. uh you know there were so many standout performers during the course of the season we wouldn't have Played 63 games, had so many not performed, you know, consistently throughout 21-22. But I'm going to actually go with Alisson. Um, mm. You know, with Alisson, he was somebody that maintained um, such high levels throughout the season. You know, Mo was exceptional up until AFCON. Yes. And then after that, he had a drop-off. Um, you know, Van Dijk was exceptional in the second half of the season. And understandably, in the first half of the season, he was he was getting back up. He was still one of the top three or four centre-backs in the league in the first half of the season uh, because, you know, he was coming back from a major injury and was playing his way back into form. In the second half of the season, you know, he, he was clearly the best centre-back in the league and in the world, um, just like he had been pre-injury. But the player for me that was consistent throughout the season was Alisson. And it's obviously difficult to measure because he's not scoring goals and all that, but so many occasions where he was one-on-one and he'd pull out these, you know, match-winning saves or um, ones that, you know, ensure that we didn't lose. You know, there were so many of them throughout the season. Mm. And, you know, there there are the statistics that back that up as well. The only um, thing that, you know, he'd give me and others, you know, kittens was, you know, his kicking wasn't the best always. And, Every game, there'd be at least one missed kick and, you know, he'd pass it to an opposition player or, um, yeah. he didn't, you know, but that aside, that's complete nitpicking. Um, he was an immense figure behind between the sticks throughout the campaign. And, you know, he won the Golden Gloves um, 
you know, in terms of most clean sheets in the Premier League and just um, a real bona fide, genuine, world-class uh, player. And, you know, he gives us that kind of assurance and that comfort and that ease that we haven't had any goalkeeper give us, you know, forever, in fact. I mean, even, I, you know, I, I became a fan in the days of Bruce Robillard. And, mm. you know, even Bruce, as great as he was, you know, he'd, he'd give you a minor art attack because oh, yes. he, he, uh, he was a bit um, eccentric and he sometimes did things his own way. And um, with Alison, you know, there's none of that. You know, he, he, he generally um, is a very, very solid, reliable keeper and he scares the opposition now. You know, when players are one-on-one with him, you know, even if they're world-class, you know, that they really struggle to put one past him if they're one-on-one with him. He's the best one-on-one goalkeeper in world football. And, um, you know, he is that rock at the back. Um, and, you know, we, we are a different team with him. And uh, that that's why for me, because he was consistent throughout the whole season, I have to go with him. No, it's a great shout. And to be fair, you know, he's been getting a lot of love, you know, from the contributors. He's he's won it a few times with a few of our um uh, with a few of our guests. So um that's a very, very good shout. And that, you know, goalkeepers are absolutely essential. And like you said, I I grew up from the David I started supporting Liverpool and grew, grew up from like the David James era. So, you know, when I kind of look back and you kind of look at this goalkeeper. He's um yep yeah, he's absolutely incredible and uh, yeah he's consistently kept those levels and you know it's it's quite underrated when you look at a goalkeeper where he might not be tested all game but then just towards the end he might have to go down and make a save or you know have to you know he's he's in a one on one situation and just to be alert because I think something that's really really underrated with a goalkeeper is and I talk about this with uh, Manuel Neuer. Bruce, um, uh, Bayern Munich are a great, great side. And sometimes when a goalkeeper's not tested, he, in the game, it can kind of affect him. And sometimes it did affect Neuer, in my opinion. I don't see that with this guy. I mean, I've I've been to Anfield and I just like watch him and he's like there doing lunges and everything. You know, he's not just stood in one place. He's mm. doing something. And I, he's actually quite good to watch off the ball. So yeah, um, he's he's an incredible goalkeeper, and uh, yeah, I think that is a great shout, Mo. Um, we're going to move on to the next point now. A podcast that you've enjoyed listening to, or you've taken part in. Well, I mean, the Nina Casa show aside, which is an obvious an obvious pick, um, we have you know thing, so many great podcasts, obviously. Um, but the two or three I'd pick out, um, I always love listening to old school, you know, in Dave and Gags, and occasionally they'll have others on, like, mm. um, who have they had on? Um, Marco, for example. Yes. You know, he, he was fantastic um, when he was on there not long ago. Um, and, and those two, you know, it's just a, it's just a free, free-for-all kind of podcast, isn't it? You know, they don't yes. go in there with an agenda necessarily. And they just shoot from the hip and, uh, you know, the banter between them is great. So I always love listening to that. And, um, you know, I also love listening to Scouted as well. Again, Dave on there with Carl and, you know, their insight, their knowledge is just 
second to none. You know, they're, they're so insightful. Um, and you really learn from, you know, some of the things that they have to say, you know, not only about players from around the world, but also the tactical side of the game as well. So, you know, really enjoy that. And um, in terms of ones that I've t- taken part in, you know, I have to pick transfer committee. Yes. You know, it's so much fun mm. whenever we put that together t- twice a year. It's always me that ends up messaging the other guys and saying, right, transfer window's coming up. What are we going to do, guys? And so then I'll kickstart it all and then the others will message and then Dave will pick his players. I'll value them. And Dan will do his, value, his kind of analytics side of things. And, you know, we all have a great um, amount of fun putting that together and then actually doing it itself um, in terms of podcasts. So that that's always great, great fun. And, you know, it goes down really well, well with our subscribers and other listeners. So, um, yeah, that, that was one I've enjoyed a lot um, during the season too. I do love that podcast and it's so unique as well because what I like is uh, the fact that you, you you kind of like get into like role play like you actually are run like a football club and you yeah. know each each guest you know exactly what you're going to get from them and then Gags are just sat there like I'm Jürgen Klopp and you do this and you uh, you know <laughs> how, you know is, is this within our budget and uh, what's he like and you know like and it is just such a I love the fact that there's so many strengths with so many of our contributors and they all get together and they produce this mammoth pod. And, uh, you know, it is that season. It's that time of the season. So hopefully, listeners, we get a few of these podcasts coming up again because um, they are an absolute joy to listen to. And, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, that that will be the case. And speaking of the Transfer Committee podcast, I mean, it's transfer window time. So what are your hopes and expectations? I mean, I think the Nunes thing is going to happen. It looks very, very likely now. Um, you know, oh, fingers crossed, hopefully it all goes well. But I mean, what did you, what have you made of, uh, of the team, the squad? I think we actually have a squad now. The bench looks really s- strong. I left the Champions League final and, you know, you, you watch that game. And when you look back at the game, you just kind of... We're not reactionary people, but for me, it just kind of felt like we just need a little bit more to get over the edge. That's what I felt personally, certainly in attack. You know, we could certainly do with a, a through and through striker. That's what I was thinking. I was also thinking of a potential midfielder. These were the kind of like um, positions that I thought that we needed slightly strengthening in, in, in a squad sense. Not like, oh, I want to get rid of all 11, but more over to you. I mean, what are your hopes and expectations for the, the transfer window? Yeah, so very much the same, to be honest. I mean, I thought that, you know, if we can bring in perhaps a striker, you know, who is more kind of a goal poacher type mm. um, and perhaps different to Bobby, who we've had for a number of seasons and has served us well, obviously, but obviously he's on the slide as well. And, um, you know, he's coming towards the end of his peak. And I thought, you know, especially as we went into that kind of final stretch of last season, you know, the goals did definitely start to dry up. And, you know, I thought having that kind of goal poacher who's really clinical in front of goal, um, you know, would make a difference. And I think that kind of player potentially could have made a difference in the final. Now, I mean, granted, Courtois had a blinder, had an amazing game. Um, But somebody a bit more clinical... Um, you know, maybe could have put one of those, two of those chances away. It all lifts butts and maybes, but 
yeah, I mean, I, I definitely thought, you know, in terms of evolving and not being predictable for the opposition, that would be a great you know, step to bring that kind of player in to this team. Um, and the other key position that I, like you, wanted was to see somebody come into midfield. And obviously we, we tried and we nearly were successful in bringing many in. Yeah. But I actually wanted somebody that's a little bit different to that. I mean, many I mean, I've not watched hardly any of him, um, but from my understanding, he's a little bit more defensive in his play, whereas I actually wanted somebody that's a little bit more tap-minded so that, you know, if we want a midfield, you know, as so often happens in games against opposition teams, you know, they'll defend in numbers and we'll have a lot of possession and, you know, we'll have a lot of the territory and we'll have most of our players in their half. And I thought, you know, in those types of situations, we want goals to potentially come from various different places. Whereas, you know, our midfield, if you can, we talk about fine margins and you compare us to the city's midfield, one of the glaring differences between our midfield and theirs is that theirs scores a lot more goals than ours does. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, if we can bring somebody with a bit more of a goal-scoring threat into our midfield, um, then I, I think that would add a little bit more, um, you know, when goals are needed. And uh, I thought, you know, if we can bring that type of player in. And, you know, we nearly did a few years ago with Nabil Fakir. Um, but then we never then went back in for that type of player again. So I thought if in this window we, we can bring that kind of player in, you know, we, we've got that uh, rocket, you know, at the kind of back of the, the midfield in Fabinho and he's world-class clearly, you know, we've got the past master in Thiago. If we then have somebody that um, is a bit more box to box, but has that kind of goal scoring instinct and threat um, that would make very, very complete midfield. And that player can then complement the front three. And uh, I thought, you know, if we, if we can bring one of those types in. And obviously we're early into the transfer window, but we do know that we genuinely did try to sign a midfield in many. Yes. So that tells me that, okay, we didn't manage to get him, but we know that our um, recruitment team doesn't just have a list of one. They will have several. So if we weren't able to get him, hopefully we'll then be able to move on to somebody else. And, you know, I would love to see Jude Bellingham join Liverpool Football Club. Um, now, you know, if you speak to, you know, people that follow Bundesliga and, you know, you obviously uh, followed it for a long time, you know, they'll tell you that, you know, they've sold one big player of Dortmund in Ireland. Yes. Um, chance of them selling a second big player in the same window, um, very, very rare. Um, but, you know, stranger things have happened. You know, if we, if we make a good enough deal um, available for Dortmund and if they think they can get a good player in, um, then you never know. It could happen. And imagine that if we have that midfield, Fabinho, Thiago, Bellingham, that's as complete a midfield as you'll get. And uh, that would be so exciting on top of a potential front three of Diaz, Nunez and Mosala. Just, uh, you know, 
salivating at that at that prospect you know that is just so attack-minded I, I love the fact that you kind of mentioned that you kind of want more an attack-minded midfield because you kind of spoke about Man City then you just look at the likes of Mares and De Bruyne and the amount of goals that well, they have to score them because they don't up until now they didn't really have a through and through striker per se so mm. you know the, so the midfield really really had to you know be all sort of attack-minded um but yes, if we add that dimension to the midfield and we've already got like a full-on attack, that looks too good. I like that more. You've got me thinking another way. I like that more. Um, obviously, this season was very memorable. We walked away with two trophies. The two big ones, obviously, we missed out on. And um, so, you know, in terms of next season, what are your hopes and expectations well, um, hopes, been ex- hopes and expectations are that we'll do- go again um, just as much as we did in 21-22. And I think that we'll go that next step and actually win either the Premier League or the Champions League. Um, we'd love to win both, obviously, but you know it's very rare for a team to win a league and the Champions League in the same season. I'll take one or the other, but I'd love to win the league again, especially mm. in front of the fans. And Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think that I just have this feeling that, you know, though City have signed Haaland, you know, they are losing, you know, two or three players. I mean, I, I think um, one of the underrated players of recent years has been um, the uh, Hundegan. Mm. And I, I think that, um, you know, in certain key games last season, again, we talked about fine margins earlier. You know, he, he made a big difference for them, especially in the final game of the season where, you know, they were on the ropes and in real big, big trouble. He came on as a sub and turned the game around for them. And, um, you know, in other games as well, he, he was a difference maker. And, you know, there are reports that he'll be moving on. There's constant links between Bernardo Silva and uh, Barcelona. If Barcelona can sort their finances out, it's possible he could go. We all know that he wanted to go a year prior in yeah. summer of 21. And, you know, there might be one or two more that might just go like Sterling. You know, again, there's rumours that he wants to be a more prominent player in a team and feels that he doesn't want to be just this squad player, which he sort of was for large stretches of 21, 22. Mm. So if they lose some of these players, okay, they're getting Ireland in, but you know, that, that could still be... You know, damaging for them. So, and I hope I hope they do lose two or three of these players. Yeah. Um, you know, and if they do, and we retain all our key players from last season except for Mane, but potentially, in terms of goal scoring, potentially upgrading on him with Nunes. And I don't want to put pressure on the lad, but you know, he he obviously is very very clinical. And I thought that you know Mane was possibly showing signs that you know his his peak years are coming towards an end now so I thought it was the right time to decide to move him or even though obviously he's still at this moment in time Liverpool player you know it looks like he's on his way to Bayern Munich I think we have a very very good chance of winning the league Um, I think that you know luck is also a part and if we retain key players and they don't get injured then that'll be a big difference whereas with City They've signed Haaland, who is injury-prone. He's yes. an amazing player, but he gets injured quite often. Um, 
So, you know, if, if they miss him for six, seven, eight, nine, even 10 games or more, you know, again, we talk about fine margins. That could be the difference between them finishing first or second. So a bit of luck, maybe some key players leaving Man City, us retaining, you know, all our key players, bar Mane, maybe one more signing in midfield. And I really fancy our chance to win the league. I like that. I like the fact that you gave us um, a little chit chat about Man City as well and what's going on there as well, because mostly it has been Liverpool kind of focus and like just what Liverpool need to do. But I'm feeling really, really optimistic. I mean, I was feeling mm. optimistic anyway, but yeah, you know, when you when you put it like that and put it into context, um, uh, it, it looks really good for the Reds. And um, hopefully, hopefully, you know, all that you say comes comes true. But Mo, thank you so much for that. No, absolute pleasure. Yeah, really enjoyed um, reflecting on the season just gone and looking ahead to the season to come. And it's not long away. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll carry on recharging these batteries and then uh, we go again as a club, as a fan base. And I'm sure we'll have many more great moments in 22-23. Uh, Absolutely. Well, guys, that was more Chatra giving his season review. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, by all means, do do get in touch with us on Discord. Give us your thoughts, share your picks. Also, if you're on social media and Twitter as well, we'd love to hear from you guys as well. You know, who, what was your favourite moment? Who was your favourite player? By all means, you know, give us give us your thoughts. We love hearing from you guys. But guys, thank you so much for listening to this half of the podcast. I'm just going to take a little halftime break. I will be back with the second guest. Sit tight, put the kettle on and I will speak to you shortly. Hey guys, welcome back to another season of the Review Podcast. Um, uh, or should I say the Season Review Podcast? That sounded a bit like the Reds Review there. My word, you'd think I'd get better with all these, podcasting that, all these podcasts that I host and all the podcasting I do, but um, it is me, unfortunately. Um, you're probably sick of the sound of my voice doing all these shows, but you know what? I do try mixing it up and diversifying it with some excellent guests from the AI community and... Uh, on the second half of this podcast, it is an absolute honour having on one of my good friends, um, a familiar voice on, on Anfield Index in general and on the Nina Kauser show, uh, Mr. Cool Dude himself, the host of the USA podcast. It's Mr. Justin Wells. Welcome. It's good to be here. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, to give everybody an idea of the timing in which we recorded this, Darwin Nunez was announced like nine minutes ago. You know what? Because I was in such a mad kerfuffle trying to get onto the pod, I missed that. I feel like Gags Tandon when he was in, I think, the cinema for the Fabinho announcement. We knew Nunez was going to happen, but yeah, happy day. So there's some actuality for you listeners, so we know where we're at. So um, I guess where I'm going to go first, Justin, is obviously because it's, it's officially done now. It's officially done and dusted, so uh, we will talk about that in a minute, but um, I'm going to rewind back a little. Um, what a season we've had, so I want to get your your thoughts, your overall thoughts from the season now that you've had a moment to pause, step back and reflect. So I, um, I was depressed a little bit at the end of it because I really thought that this team um, should have come home with one of the big pots, but when I look back at it, and it really just took, it took the next day, right? seeing the um the parade the parade made me realize that this was far more about the journey sometimes than the destination and that the journey is the destination 
And I think that that that's what I really take from this season. It's because mm-hmm. I don't think that this 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 club is done. Mm-hmm. I got to see us win two trophies that I haven't seen us win in a really long time. In particular, I love the FA Cup, and winning the FA Cup is great because I'm, I'm thinking about the last time we made it to an FA Cup final. We lost to Chelsea. I hate losing to Chelsea. This time we got a, we got a measure of revenge there. League Cup final. Last time we got to one, we played against a sports washing team in Manchester City. We got to beat another sports washing team in Chelsea. So there were some, you know, there was some closure on some things that I, that I really, really wanted because I did want Klopp to win these awards so that, um, you know, these trophies so that nobody could say that his legacy is one of, you know, just competing in the league and the champions league. He actually took on all comers as a manager this season, all four fronts and got us within, you know, the thinnest margins that you possibly can of doing something that would have been, you know, incredibly special mm-hmm. in a in a treble or unprecedented in a quadruple instead i'll just have to settle with you know a truly special double poor us absolutely and i i am with you there as well like i love the fact that we kind of beat chelsea pretty much a decade on in the fa cup because obviously we, we lost it that year to them so yeah um it, it was it was an absolutely phenomenal journey and um i think all of us um enjoyed so much of it and um it's nice kind of stepping back because I feel like sometimes a lot of people will always focus on what happened towards the end and kind of discount all the great moments and all the great matches. So Justin, um, if you had to pick a favorite match, a match, you know, it, and you know, it can be from any of the cups, uh, it could be in the league because obviously the Reds played so much football. Um, which one stands out to you and why? It was Leicester in the league cup. Uh, I really hate Brendan Rodgers. I don't know if anybody knows that. I've probably made that point very clear in the past. Um, I really don't like him. I don't wish him winning anything. And seeing him go into Anfield with a full strength side, really kind of play us off the park in the first half, but not finish us off and then realize that you can't not finish off, you know, this particular Liverpool side and expect to walk out um, alive. I really enjoyed that. And that was probably my favorite match of the season because of the fact that, not only the fact that, you know, we got a, a patented comeback, but we also got some great moments and we got some unsung heroes scoring goals. Um, you know, Takumi Minamino's club, you know, cup heroics were, were on full display. And there's something about that that I, uh, you know, I, I love. I love Minamino. I think he's a player who, um, do I think that, like, you know, he has a future with us? No, he's probably leaving the summer. But I love when we bring in a player and they're able to at least develop some sort of cult hero status. And, you know, not a bad trophy haul for Takumi Minamino, who is going to walk out of Liverpool with a Premier League and two other cups. So, yeah. nice job. Yeah, in just under two years as well, pretty much, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough on him because he. I feel like there's a world within which he settles better at Liverpool. But that's a world within which we also don't have a global pandemic that's raged on for two years, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just his the timing of his move probably scuppered chances of success because coming from Japan to Austria to England, that's a lot of different moves and a lot of different cultures and a lot of mm-hmm. different languages in a really short time. Yes. And when you have, you know, forced isolation, it's going to make all that very hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, uh, listeners, uh, Justin uh, despises Brendan Rodgers as much as he despises sports washing teams. Uh, just going to put that out there. Uh, we know how you feel about them as well. No, Justin. no, no. I, 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 Brendan, Brendan Rodgers is not as bad as sport washing. 
Oh, good to know. Good to know. Okay, so your favourite moment was, uh, of course, the 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 Leicester League Cup game, uh, which I think a lot of people really. Well, that was my favourite match. It's not necessarily yeah. my favourite moment. Sorry, your favourite. My favourite moment is Divacarigi scoring against Everton. <laughs> my favourite. My favourite moment is Divacarigi scoring against Everton, because I, you know, again. I love I love a cult hero and I love Divock Origi and uh, you know Origi coming on to change that game against Everton at Anfield was was fantastic. Also, given the stakes at the time where we were just playing every three days and you know it, it, if a player needed to come in if if we needed to call on a player to contribute they needed to contribute and Divock contributed. Yeah, and uh, when it comes to cult hero status, I don't think you get bigger than uh, Divock Origi. I mean, he scores so many important goals. And I guess it's, I don't know, it's its kind of nice that he stuck it to Everton once again, right? It's great. I, no, no player is going to hurt Everton supporters as much as Divock Origi in their lifetimes. Like, it, it's, it was Ian Rush, and now it's Divock Origi. <laughs> Odd saying them in the same sentence. Yeah, and absolutely good to see him leave. And uh, yeah, uh, but we wish him all the best. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people will have some. I think there's probably a montage of great moments that are sort of aligned with something what Divock Origi did in terms of a goal. He scored so many important goals, but I'm going to take you on, any more, on, on an emotional roller coaster here, Justin. So, you know, that was your favorite moment. What was your worst match? Um, it is losing to Leicester 1-0 near Christmas in a match that would realistically, if Salah scores that penalty in the first half, it goes in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. Um, Leicester didn't do much in that match. They scored their one real opportunity, yep. and we were just blunt. And I do remember doing your show after that match, and at the very least saying, even though we were 14 points back, that the league wasn't gone. Um, it turns out that I was marginally off but that wasn't where that wasn't where the league went I think the league went against either it probably went against Spurs you know what but, you you were positive I remember that and I pretty much threw in the towel at that point um I, I, that was my worst match as well um I did not enjoy that at all it just felt like and I think it was on like you know we, we had a few annoying draws I think we drew to Spurs and then shortly after I think we drew to was it Chelsea? You know, there was like a congestion yeah. of fixtures and like Chelsea was a two nil lead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I just I just remember that that game and you're talking, you know, Mosala does not miss from the spot and you know he misses. Probably wasn't the best penalty as well from him by all accounts, but I just remember just that game being deeply frustrated. We had so much of the ball. We looked massively blunt. I think that was a game where I think Jordan Henson felt the need that he was just going to volley it from anywhere possible. And me just in the first half, certainly. And then he kind of eased off on that. And, you know, a player, somebody, I think, you know, Leicester bring on somebody called Jewsbury Hall. And I was just like, oh, gosh. But, you know, I'm just going to give you a little heads up here. Um this podcast is uh, joined on to um, another contributor, and uh, I think uh, it was more chat. Um, it was more chatter also put that game down as his worst. So great minds think alike. Plus, he is from Leicester as well, so it must hurt even more. Yeah, there's there's stick they can give there. Dewsbury Hall, I believe, also scored in that game. So we lost to either depending oh. upon where you're from, a oh. wedding venue or a college dormitory. Not cool, not cool at all. Um, did he score? 
I believe Dewsbury Hall is the one who scored for them in that game. Oh, God. I could be wrong, but I believe he did. Adam. It's, it's not worth looking up. Yeah, I was just trying to like think then like, oh gosh, but yeah, I've got memory like a sieve. Okay, so that was your worst match. Justin, your worst moment from the season. My worst moment is, uh, <clears throat> it's two. Mm-hmm. They both, ni- neither, one of them might have proved to be fatal. The other one didn't. It's Tiago not being able to play after the warmups in the league cup final. Mm-hmm. And then it's also Tiago walking off injured in the last game of the league season, which I think did hamper him in the champions league final. Uh, I, I'm not one of those who's going to say that we can't win without Tiago, but man, he really enhances our ability to win. He is a fantastic footballer. One of the best midfielders we'll ever see. And I just really enjoy watching him play. And just seeing seeing his face and the tears on his face during the uh, League Cup final in particular, he looked inconsolable. And I'm glad that we uh, I'm glad that we won the match so he could lift that trophy. Also glad that he actually got to come on and play in the FA Cup final. I mean, he ended up playing in two of our three finals, and that's why you buy a player like him. You, you buy a player like that because he's going to bring you to uh, you know he is a big game player, and it just stinks when he doesn't get to play in big games or his efficacy is hampered by injury. I love that. That is a really, really different moment. I don't think I've heard that one before, Justin. So thank you so much for sort of diversifying it. And uh, yeah, I completely forgot, you know, it it just goes to show that it's been such a season that you forget things. I completely forgot me being absolutely devastated for the guy in the League Cup, just looking absolutely broken that he couldn't play. And, you know, and it just goes to show what it kind of meant to him to be in that final and wanting to play as well. So, which makes those Cups that we won even more special because, you know, to a player like Thiago, who's pretty much won a lot and won pretty much big things for him wanting to play in the League Cup and, you know, just him looking absolutely um, broke was, um it was actually really, really sad. Um, that is, um those, those, are, those are some good worst moments. It really goes to show you also just how much of a winner he is. Mm-hmm. Because if you asked him on the day that he signed for Liverpool, uh, why he came here, he came here to win Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues, right? Or to be, you know, that's those are the competitions he came here to play. In. But he, I think there is something about these players, especially the ones at the, at the top who are playing for teams that are really going deep for big honors. They want to win everything, yes. right? Just, you know, just winning the Champions League and the Premier League, which unfortunately we won neither of this year, just winning those might not have been enough for him if we had also, you know, considering we were in the FA Cup final and in the uh, League Cup final. So, you know, they really, all these guys want to win silverware. And I, and that's part of what I love about them is the hunger to win and the hunger to be part of this unit that wins. There aren't a ton of guys in this team, and I would probably say there are basically none, outside the forwards who your class is selfish and you want your forwards to be selfish anyway. So, you know, it it all works. Absolutely. It does indeed. And um, Justin, next one, Uh, player of the year. So I considered a few people here. Um, I considered Fabinho, but I think that there was, you know, um, for as good as he is in the level that he set, there was some inconsistency through um, Mo Salah, I would say again, 
incredible. The first half of the season, some of the best things I've ever seen. And it conjured, you know, the run he went on in 2017-18 when he had first arrived, only it looked probably a little bit better. Um, but the, the cliff he fell off of after AFCON, um, as far as finishing, was just a bit much. And he's, um, you know, I, I think that he's a, a truly, a truly incredible player, one of my favorites ever. But for me, it's um, it's Allison Becker. Um, he's just uh, he, he he fills me with supreme confidence. Um, we're a team that doesn't get scored on a lot, and I think this season, um, the first half especially, he was a, a massive, massive part of that because you had um, Montip coming off of an injury, and even though he was very good in the first half of the season, you you know he was still taking time to get back to where he was before his ankle injury last season. Van Dyke in the first half of the season looked like a player who was recovering from ACL surgery in the second half of the season, Virgil van Dyke looked like Virgil van Dyke. Right. And I'm not saying that, you know, after the, the first half that he was particularly bad, he, he um, at 80% of his ability is still better than basically every center, center back in world football. So he's still incredible, but I think that, you know, there was some recovery coming from him. but I don't fear teams getting in one-on-one against our keeper, mm. which is an incredible tool of, uh, he, he not only does he just like he's a keeper who defends you by not even letting you take shots. He's, he's, he's exceptional. His distribution is great. And he didn't really have anything that I would call a subpar streak all season. He was just fantastic. And I think that he's, I mean, it's tough. It's, it's weird calling a keeper on a team that scored 140 goals, your best player. But to me, he was. I think what I like here is a lot of people have actually gone for Alison Becker when we've been talking to them. And I think what you've all kind of touched on there is the consistency. You know, there's been, you know, bursts of players where they've been absolutely phenomenal and then they kind of fell off. And, you know, and I think, you know, fatigue got, you know, certainly towards the end. And I think Alison Becker kind of maintained a really, really high consistent level. And, you know, we shouldn't forget maybe the year that he had like the the season before with with the you know the personal tragedy and what he had to go through and for him to come and obviously um it did affect him last season you know which naturally it would and for him to sort of come back this season and just be so consistent and uh a lot yep um uh, I I have to agree with you um in in regards to just like on one-on-ones he's been pretty much exceptional and you have to give so much credit to a goalkeeper when even though they have nothing to do all game and he still looks razor sharp alert when he is called into action. And that just speaks volumes of his, um, he, basically his skill, the class that he has and also his professionalism. So I, I really like the Alison Becker shout. I personally went for Virgil van Dijk, but I do like, an, I do like the Alison Becker shout. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, there's another thing about Allison that it took me a while to get used to. Uh, and, and I say this is the highest compliment because by taking me a while to get used to, I was used to having Simon Mignolet and Loris Carius. And before that, you know, the chalk outline of Pepe Reina in net. Um, he doesn't do anything that looks spectacular, right? Mm-hmm. Mignolet will make spectacular saves. Carius made some spectacular saves. I mean, you know, you and I went to a match at Anfield a few years ago where Carius basically fingertipped a Marco Arnautovic chip from nowhere mm-hmm. onto his own onto his own post, and it, it looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Allison doesn't have to do that because he's perfectly in position all the time, and it goes back to the whole point of you know Maldini talking about why he doesn't need to tackle or why Van Dyke doesn't tackle. Um, same thing rings true of keepers. 
you don't need to make diving saves if you're always in position or you basically just cut down angles and, you know, um, don't, uh, you know, don't give people open shots. Allison Becker has in his point at Liverpool uh, just shown superb reflexes. And to be perfectly honest, if you're looking for a player who spurred us on to two of our biggest successes, we don't win the Champions League in Madrid if Allison Becker doesn't stop Milik's shot against Napoli. Yes, I know this is three seasons ago. And he, we also don't get to this season's Champions League if Becker, if he doesn't score against uh, West Brom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's, he's, he is a foundational player. And, you know, I think the keepers don't get quite enough respect. Yeah, and I kind of um, just loved him in the League Cup uh, final, just sat there watching, uh, you know, watching our keeper. I can't even say his name, so I'm going to try to. But, um, uh, you know, seeing um, just him sort of cheering him on to take a penalty and stuff. He's just a massive professional, and uh, I absolutely adore Alison Becker. Righty ho, Justin. Um, an AI podcast that you've enjoyed listening to or being part of? So being part of, uh, it unfortunately happened while, you know, you, you were taking off for Ramadan, mm-hmm. but I had the joy of joining Guy Drinkle on his birthday for the 4-0 against United oh, yeah. on the hastily <laughs> assembled Guy Drinkle substitute for Nina Kauser show. I mean, there's something that's really fun about Liverpool beating the crap out of Manchester United. Yeah. And it's even more fun to talk about. Mm. So that, that, was a, that was a really fun one to be part of. Um, I actually do find sometimes when we lose and I'm on your show, I actually do think that's cathartic because you get it out. And mm-hmm. I do think doing the, you know, the match against Leicester, a match that seemed like you know, really devastating at the time, was good because you get the, you get the feelings out. I don't want to do them every week where, I, where we lose because there's obviously the, uh, you know, it brings back some bad memories of, doing a podcast during the Brendan Rogers era. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I think there is something cathartic to talk about with losses. Um, as far as uh, AI podcasts that I, that, I, that I like and I listen to, I tend to listen to you about basically every, after every match. And uh, that, that's a, you know, always, always, a, always a, a good list. And I do find it nice to hear from, uh, you know, some additional voices and hearing a wide range of opinions on what people think they just saw. Because I do think that if you ask 100 people to watch a football match, you'll get 75 different answers as to what happened. Absolutely. Um, and then the other thing is I just enjoy listening to uh, Under Pressure every single week. Um, I, I think that they do a fantastic job breaking the statistical side of the game down and talking just, you know, trying to contextualize, it, you know, using uh, some numbers and figures exactly what we think we've seen and letting you know whether or not your eye test occasionally does fail. Um, I also really do enjoy when uh, Dave and Carl do um, scouted during mm-hmm. mid-season breaks, when they actually talk about uh, things that don't relate to Liverpool and scout other players, because right. that is a good way for me, a guy who doesn't watch a ton of other football outside the Premier League at the moment. I mean, I'll watch the occasional Bundesliga game, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a good way to learn about players and just, learn who I should watch, you know, when I do have the opportunity to watch football that isn't the Premier League. So, you know, I, I enjoy that quite a bit as well. Basically, act like your TV guy, don't they? Like, hey, keep an eye on this league, on this player, 
and you know we're just sourcing that out for you yeah I, I do enjoy them as well when they do like their best 11 and they do and sometimes I like it when they look at other teams as well like I do enjoy um what they do on AI scouted and yeah under pressure is just highbrow stuff and yeah you had the honor of uh, talking about the 4 nil. I just remember being deeply spiritual that fasted and then just turning incredibly tribal um as soon as like my fast was open and I'm watching the game and then I was like there was something nice about not covering the game as well, though, because obviously I was off for Ramadan. It was just too late, so I couldn't cover it. But um, yeah, every time we beat Man United, for some strange reason, I'm for 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 recent seasons now, I've not been covering them, which is um, really really bad because like we have really been sticking it to them, you know. Um, so um, uh, let's keep let's keep that trend going. Let me, I want to I want to ask you a quick detour question because I just want to understand one thing about this about this flow from deeply spiritual from fasting for Ramadan into going like feral and tribal immediately. So like it, it, you know because obviously like there's some similarities between all three of the major monotheistic religions. Yes, Judaism. I have one day a year I have to fast Yom Kippur, mm-hmm. yes. where effectively you're supposed to atone for your sins throughout the year. Does yes. Ramadan have a similar concept? Where okay, no. <laughs> so you're. Well, in Ramadan, what we do is obviously, you know, it's 30 days and it's about um, uh, it's it's basically well, before obviously the revelation came for Muslims to observe the month of Ramadan, um, Muslims fasted the same day as as, uh, our Jewish cousins. And uh, and then obviously we we got the month of Ramadan and it was to increase us in uh, God consciousness and to just um, uh, do as much good as you can. And it is actually the month of repentance. So very similar in concept very similar yeah. it is the month of forgiveness and you know increasing your good deeds so being more charitable being kinder you know just being a bit more you know it's kind of that like detachment from a worldly sense and just you know um doing as much good as you possibly can so you attack watching that united game like i attack a bagel spread once i can pretty, break much, pretty much i was like well, <laughs> okay fair enough yeah but that, that, that fast is a complete write-off as soon as i opened my fast because i was i was awful <laughs> <laughs> well at least you get to make up for it the very next day yes i, I have do. to wait a year <laughs> oh bless um so there you go people um a little bit of um education for you there Right, Justin, I know you like this one. You kind of um, uh, teased it at the beginning of your bit. Nunes, Liverpool have got him. Transfer window hopes and expectations. Now, I watched that Champions League final. And, you know, again, it it, it, it was like a bit of a frustrating game because obviously we, we had so many chances. Courtois just having an absolute worldie. You know, I was, we're not reactionary people. I'm sat there thinking, you know what? There just needs to, we just... It kind of highlights for me with all the crosses that we need a front man, we need a proper forward. You know, just it would be very interesting to see what would happen in that situation if we had an out and out striker. And, you know, and again, I was looking at, I think, maybe another personnel in midfield, uh, you know, just basically adding a little bit of spice to take us to the next edge. I'm going to let you speak now because I want to get your thoughts on Nunes and just what you kind of hope and expect from Liverpool in the transfer window. So um, I'm going to go a little bit different here, even though I think that uh, I know I think he's gone. I'd actually like to see us keep uh, keep Mane, mm. and I want to see us change formations to like a four-two-four or four-two-three-one, and go and attack the season with you know Mane, Salah, Darwin, Jota, Diaz as our forward line, and then dropping someone like you know dropping Bobby Carvalho and and uh, Elliot to be a cre- to be creators in front of 
uh, you know, the, of force of Henderson, Keita, Tiago, and Fabinho, um, because I think that that actually gives you a lot of balance. You have uh, guys you can actually, and then I think Curtis Jones should also play a decent amount too. I'm just not sure. I, although I think, you know, to, for him to play as a, a pivot in the two, he's going to have to develop a significantly different kind of game in midfield. Although I do think he has a real bit of the press resistance that you need because Curtis Jones is very difficult to take a football from. But, um, you know, I've, I've said this a lot. I don't necessarily think the transfers are the solution to all of our problems. Mm-hmm. I do think we could use another young midfielder because the age and profile of our midfield is age is getting old faster than I'd like it to. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if we were, if, the, if, if our summer is Carvalho, Ramsey and Darwin, um, I still think that's a very good summer because mm-hmm. it's addressing some, some needs. It's addressing the creative ball carrying uh, forward who's young. It's create, it's buying yourself a, you know, hopefully future Galactico striker, although hopefully not a Galactico because I don't want him to go to Real Madrid and, um, and, and uh, buying yourself cover for Trent, because I do think having a specialist right back um, who, who can cover Trent has been a hole as much as I think that Joe Gomez is decent at it. And although as much as I think that James Milner can do literally, you know, a jack of all trades, master of none at this point in his career. I don't really want to see him play fullback because I think the further you put him to the outside of the pitch, the more of his lack of pace at this point gets exposed. Um, I would like to see a midfielder come in. And I think the midfielder profile I want is someone who's closer to like a Fabinho, um, a Fabinho kind of break play up kind of player. Because I do think that basically your groups are effectively your ball retainers and progressors, which are basically Naby and Thiago your defensive midfielders slash holding midfielders, which I think is Fabinho. And uh, at this point, I think that's the only place that Henderson should play. Yeah. And then I think you have your creators and that's going to be kind of some sort of mix of Harvey, Curtis, um, hopefully Bobby and, uh, and, and, and you know, Carvalho, like the guys who can be kind of hybrid forward midfielders or little players. So that's what I'd like. I don't think there's any need to do anything at um, central defense. And I think the only place there's other of real interest for me is whether or not we give Cleveland Kelleher a move to someplace where he's actually going to see more minutes as a starter because I think he wants to do that so that he is clearly established as the Republic of Ireland's number one mm-hmm. which he probably should be but he's not going to get that if he doesn't play and staying at Liverpool as a backup as good as he is he's one of the better backup keepers in the world um, you still want to be the starter <laughs> No, I hear you. I, I hear you. And I, I like the fact that you're kind of like tinkering with the formation and uh, you kind of want to go for more of a a defensive midfielder if, if Liverpool are in the market for one. Um, and with regards, I like the fact that you kind of mentioned like the hybrid players in terms of the midfield and attack as well. And, you know, you kind of sourcing Bobby Firmino there as well, because I definitely think he is that player. Because I always find that when the midfield loses, he just naturally just wants to drop into the midfield. So it, it will be very interesting to see what happens there. But um, yeah, I, I'm very, very excited about the new striker and, you know, what and also, um, you know, the Cavalio development as well. What happens there? Because I actually spoke to a Fulham based journalist and this, you know, they, they kind of sourced him out as more of like a number 10. So it will almost be like having um, I, I don't know how Jurgen Klopp's going to do this, but he you know, he'll be more of like a number 10 kind of player. But I think from what I've spoken to from a few people that they seem to think that he'll probably be mixing up with the forwards. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. 
Yeah, I think that people obsess over formations a little bit too much mm. because if you think about it, you could play a 4-2-3-1 that's attacking or a 4-2-3-1 that's defensive, right? Like the the 4-2-3-1 that Jurgen Klopp played at Dortmund is very different than the 4-2-3-1 that Rafa Benitez played at Liverpool, right? Yes. The 4-3-3 that Jose Mourinho played at Real Madrid is very different than the 4-3-3 Jurgen Klopp. It's all Klopp about the philosophy, played. isn't it? It's about the philosophy. It's about the, the philosophy too. Yep. So you could sit there and you could sit and you could talk all you want about, you know, formations being, you know, formations being important. And I think they are to an extent in particular when you're out of possession and also knowing where you're going to recover to if the other team turns you over and, you know, where to run to stop breaks. But we've been playing so fluid in attack and when we have the ball, which is, by the way, most of the time at this point, the only team that really, the only team that really outpossesses us is City. And that's just because that's what Guardiola, his entire thing is about. Um, so I, I'm less concerned with kind of the positions and the formation that we play and more concerned about how, when we're in attack against, against really, really good teams that play a low block, because that's the only teams, that, you know, the only teams that played a low block that really truly um, stopped us for, you know, 90 to 120 minutes on end were Chelsea Spurs and Real Madrid. And, you know, fair, fair play to them. They're really, that, that's really good players setting up that kind of strategy. What we need to do is just find a way to draw those teams out a little bit. And I think that's where just the slight differences, right? The marginal gains about how you're going to tweak how you play. That's how that's going to come in. That's how that's going to come in. And I think that's where we're going to, uh, you know, need to evolve a bit because if we can find other ways to hurt teams and ways to hurt good teams a little bit deeper than just, you know, within the six yard box, we're going to become a, you know, a tougher proposition than we already are now. And we're already very, very good. That we are, that we are. Right, Justin, last point, last um, last little question for you. Of course, we missed out on the two biggies there, but, you know, great effort for Liverpool playing every single game that was um, humanly possible for them to do so this season. So what are your hopes and expectations for next season? Oh, I think we're going to win the Premier League game in like 20. I think we're going to win the Premier League in like 20 games. I think, I think we're going to win it at a canter again. Um, it's, I feel like it's set up for us to go on to a very quick revenge tour. And there is one thing that we have that I think nobody else, including city can kind of do at the moment, which is we have been capable to go on entire half of the season runs where we just, you know, don't draw many games, don't lose games city. You know, the thing with city is they'll win a lot of games. They're beatable. They lose, right? We don't lose for us. It's the turning draws into wins in 1920. We started what, like 24, 23 or 24 wins, one draw with no, before we lost a game. Um, we're capable of doing that again. And I think that the parade is going to make these guys hungry to do that. So I think that we really just might win the Premier League at a canter. Um, within the Champions League, which is the other competition that I think that we should care about, um, is I think the League Cup and the FA Cup can, you know, go back to taking a, a back seat and uh, we'll only worry about them if the kids get us to a semifinal. But uh, I, I really think that it's basically win the Premier League next year. Um, I think we could do it. And if we can, the Champions League is so draw dependent. Like we really did have a pretty straightforward route to the final. Now that straightforward route to the final is made by the fact that Villarreal beat Bayern and that, you know, Benfica beat and that our draw after the first round put us against Benfica. So I mean, after the first knockout stage, but against Benfica. So, you know, it's, it's going to be draw dependent. Um, I have a, I have a sick fear next year that um, 
we are going to get draw city in a two leg knockout stage. Cause I just know it. I think we're going to, obviously I think we'll get through the group stages, but I, I do think we're going to end up drawing an English team that I'm going to hate it in the knockout stages. Um, it's a shame it can't be United for, because I think we would take them behind the woodshed, but that would entail them, you know, actually qualifying for the Champions League, which is something they're very far from doing. Absolutely. And uh, I love that. I love the fact that a lot of people are kind of wanting the league. And uh, yeah, uh, and I think, I mean, like, Justin, I think you'll agree that this is just truly a phenomenal, phenomenal, um, you know, squad that Jurgen Klopp's got here. And, you know, what Jurgen Klopp's doing. And um, it, for me, like, in my lifetime, this is certainly the greatest Liverpool side I've ever seen. And the squad as well, like, the depth of it, you know, it's, you know, the bench looks so decent this season, like, for most parts. And it just kind of hurts a little that, you know, it it could have, it should win so much more. But obviously, it's being pushed to the edge by, you know, a sports wash team. And But then you have to give so much credit for a team like Liverpool as well, because if it wasn't for Liverpool, this league would be like the Bundesliga. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in the end, you even still have to give a bit of credit to City for what they put on the pitch because they're incredible. Oh, God, yeah. Right? Yeah. The consistency is great. Like, I'm not saying that I think that I'm not saying that I think that they're easily beatable, which is why we're going to win the league at a canter. I just think that we have I, I just think that we have it in us as the only other team that can rip off a run like they possibly can. Right. We're talking about, you know, two teams that have ripped off points points totals in the nineties over the, you know, three of the last four seasons. The only one within yes. which both didn't was a, a season that, you know, was so strange <laughs> that it's tough to put into words, but these two teams are incredible and they push each other really far. I think it's just, you know, we've landed less blows recently than they have. And especially in the league. But, I, it, it, you know, we're not we're not exactly a soft touch. So I think that there's still a possibility where we're going to come through and win a bunch more silverware because, you know, we're an extremely well-built side. We are pretty damn mentally resilient. And we, uh, you know, I think I think that there's still a point to prove within the side, I think. And I think that that's um, going to hold us in good stead where we're just going to continually just probably ramp it up and win a lot of games from the off next season. And um, I would like to play City early in the season once they release the schedule. I, I want it, you know, after the first international break. Uh, but, you know, I, wa- I want us to be able to develop ahead of steam and hopefully land, land you know, land a punch very early on them. Hopefully, uh, it, hopefully that get, you know, the first, the first game between the two is at Anfield. Because I think that that can put us in good stead to, you know, handle our business fast. Absolutely. And I remember actually the season we won the league, which seems so long ago, you know, um, uh, given everything that, you know, we've been through as a, as a whole. But I just remember we started, like you said, we came out angry and we came out of the blocks, you know, full of like, I don't know, we were just winning games. And I do remember like they had a bit of a wobbler. I remember they lost to, was it um, Wolves and they were lo- they lost to Norwich. You know, they, they had some crazy little results going on at the beginning. And that's what kind of put us in good stead to kind of have that, to win it at, at such a massive margin. So I, I like the fact that you kind of highlighted how we kind of start off as well. Um, Justin, thank you so much for that. It was, it was, this was fun. I hope uh, that I get to talk about something next season where we won one of the big pots, but this season was an ap- a true epic season. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm going to, I've been trying to focus less on uh, 
how it ended and more that went, and more that went on. So this podcast was really helpful for, uh, for surfacing that. No, um, it was a pleasure having you. And who knows, Justin, we might be doing another quadruple podcast where the Reds actually do it. I mean, I know it's, it's quite tough to do, but um, it's the hope. You've got, you've got to stay hopeful. But guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed Justin Wells there and more Chatra. Um, if you're on Discord um, and you want to sh- give your thoughts on, on the season and, you know, give some of your shouts, please feel free to, you know, um, interact with us and also on social media as well on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you guys. But guys, thank you so much for listening. A massive thank you to my two incredible guests. Um, take care. Till next time. Up the Reds. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.